0: I hope everybody's doing good this is uh this is we're kind of resuming our normal summer schedule where like half the church goes on vacation and doesn't tell us so if uh if you guys are watching later online thanks a lot for inviting us on your trip but that's if you're wondering where is so and so that's probably what they're doing they're probably camping but just remember they're camping and it's going to be like a hundred degrees so how miserable are they we're sitting here in the ac like yeah i think we made the right decision Um, Hey, we're starting a new series today, and uh, I wanted to kind of set us up by talking about this classic Bible story, uh, one that you're familiar with, but one that I think maybe... uh has some implications that we don't always get to because sometimes we just jump into the story and we snatch the story out and we don't really kind of read the surrounding elements of the story that really give it a lot of life and and flavor and that's what we're going to do today but we're going to we're going to draw from the story kind of a biblical principle and then we're going to just try to drive that principle home that I think is going to be just incredibly practical it's the type of thing that you can take with you today and this afternoon, your life can have different structure and different meaning because of what we talk about. I believe the, the scripture is that powerful. Um, So, this is Daniel in the lion's den. This is a classic piece of art depicting that story, and if you've grown up around the church, you probably are familiar, you know, Daniel gets in trouble with the kingdom. He gets thrown in the lion's den. The text says, God stopped the mouth of the lions. I like this depiction because it's not like the lions are not wanting to eat him, but they're just kind of like, there's something about them being held back, and I just like how, you know, Daniel's just standing there, hands behind his back, and I just love the way that this is depicted. But what we don't always read about is what got Daniel into the lion's den, what got him thrown there. And so let me give you the setup, and then we're going to read a text of Scripture that I think is incredibly enlightening. But the setup is Daniel is a, uh, he's a refugee, or, and maybe... Maybe that's not the right word, but he's, a, he's, a, he's an exile who has been, an, he's an oppressed person who has been taken, uprooted from his own country and replanted in this brand new country. So this is something, something different, something new, but he gets himself noticed by the governing authorities. There's something about who he is, his qualities, his character, his habits. There's something about him that draws attention and he gets himself a government job. I mean, you imagine, that's pretty wild to be like this exile, this quote-unquote enemy, and you're being assimilated into this new country, get yourself a government job. And evidently, he's really good at his job because he keeps getting promoted. And uh, and you can imagine as a person gets promoted, he's drawing a little bit of a neg- negative attention from his co-workers who are like, who is this guy? I mean, he's not even one of us, and he keeps getting promoted. To the degree, the text tells us that the emperor of this country was about to give Daniel the keys to the kingdom and put him in charge of everything. Well, that was too much. For these other bureaucrats they're like can't have that we cannot have a foreigner in control of everything the emperor has lost his mind we've got to do something about this so they decide to go the whole political route i mean this is a story as old as time they're gonna dig up some dirt on daniel and they are gonna like publicly humiliate him to the point that they're trying to get Daniel killed. They're trying to show, they're trying to get the skeletons out of Daniel's closet that the king, the emperor, is going to have to actually execute him. That's their plan. So they start digging into Daniel's life, and guess what they find? absolutely nothing this guy is squeaky clean there cannot be anybody this clean but somehow daniel is there's nothing so what they end up having to do is they have to legislate new laws based on daniel's habits in order to get him in trouble and so they're trying to think like, well, what does Daniel do? What is, he, what is something that part of who he is, part of his character? And they realize, you know, this Daniel guy, he prays three times a day. And they, and they knew he prayed because he prays with the windows open three times a day facing Jerusalem. And so they said, that's what we're going to nail him on. So they go to the emperor and, uh, I mean, it's just imagine this. Imagine a politician with an ego so big that they're willing to make a law like this. The law they propose, these other bureaucrats propose... Is uh, that only people, only citizens, the citizens of the emperor can only pray to the emperor for like 30 days. Can you imagine a politician having such a big ego that they would enact a law like that? I I mean, that's just crazy, right? No, like all of them, right? You can't hardly get into politics without having some sort of ego stuff going on. It just is part and parcel of it. And so, yeah, they convinced the emperor that, yes, We are going to do that and if you've ever been in politics uh, i don't mean everybody in politics as (laughs) we have a former politician in the room i want to be very careful (laughs) speaking generally present company excluded um former state senator anyway (laughs) anyway they get this law passed the emperor agrees and they know they're going to get this guy they know they're going to get daniel and so this is what the text says daniel chapter 6 verse 10 this is the setup It says, now Daniel learned that the decree had been published. This is the law of the land. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, reminding him of his home, of his God, of the temple. And he prayed three times a day. He got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God. And notice this phrase, just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. This new law didn't change a thing for him. Now, this is interesting because when I read this text, as, as, especially as a kid, but even now I'm even more confused because I thought, well, you know, of course Daniel kept doing that because he was required by law to pray three times a day with his, his windows open toward Jerusalem, right? But you read the Hebrew Bible, there is no law in the Hebrew Bible that requires anybody to pray three times a day with their windows open toward Jerusalem. This was Daniel's routine. This was his habit. This is just what he got up and did. This is what part of his day. And I find that fascinating because why didn't he just adjust his routine slightly? All he had to do to avoid the lion's den, now, by the way, we know the lion's den worked out. We know it made for a great story and a great painting. We know everything worked out, but he didn't know that. He thought he was gonna get executed by lions. I mean, that would be a rough way to go. All he would have to do to avoid that fate was just to close the shutters. That's all he would need to do. There wasn't any cameras. There wasn't any... That's all he would need to do. Or all he would need to do is uh, just pray quietly. He doesn't have to verbalize it. He doesn't have to pray out loud so anybody can hear. He could just close his eyes. And then if somebody says, hey, are you praying? He could be like, no, 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 just meditating. It's all good. Leave me alone. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to verbalize his prayers out loud, which was a common practice, by the way, in, in, uh, for Hebrew people. And he doesn't have to have the windows open. He doesn't have to do it three times a day. But he doesn't change. Why didn't he just change his habit? I mean, he could have avoided all the trouble. Why not? Why not? It's not that big of a deal. Just a little habit, just a little routine. Just change it. What's the problem? Um, A couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I realized something pretty significant about myself. I realized that for about 20 years, every single day, without exception, I have had a cup of coffee. As we know the Bible says, drink coffee every day without fail, right? No, I mean, I I think this is pretty surprising to think like, wow, for 20-some years, there was some point in my life where I'm like, I'm going to give this coffee thing a try. I did not like it the first time I tried it, by the way. It was not good. You really have to muscle through the first few weeks. And then at some point, it became this habit where I will literally rearrange my schedule around having a cup of coffee. If I need more time in the morning, I will set my alarm earlier. Some of you are having your cup of coffee right now. If I need more time, I'll set my alarm earlier so I can wake up and I can go through my routine of making coffee and having it. If I wake up in the morning and I realize that I don't have coffee and I'm a guy who does like creamer, I put half and half in it. I know that makes me a wimp, but whatever. That's just the way it is. Accept me as I am, love me or leave me. Anyway, I'll put a little cream in it in the morning. And if I wake up and I find out that I'm out of coffee grounds or I'm out of creamer, I will get in my car and I will arrange my travel schedule in order to get coffee or in order to buy creamer. I arrange my day. When I go on a mission trip to Mexico like we did earlier this summer, guess what we go to the store and one of the first things that we buy to make sure that we have it in the houses for the morning? Coffee, Coffee. yeah. When I go up to camp, guess what I bring with me because camp coffee is so awful that it just can't even be considered coffee. Guess what I bring with me in order to have it every morning at camp? coffee and a coffee maker in this case you know like my whole the whole setup like for 20 years no matter the circumstances no matter the situation there is nothing else in my life that is not essential to my life like breathing and sleeping that I have done so consistently for so long I should get some sort of award and some of you are like 20 years is child's play I've been doing it for 80 years and look at me still going strong five heart surgeries but still going strong I mean, it's kind of amazing when you think about it. It, it, it. It's kind of crazy, right? Crazy? Is that fair to say? Crazy? Some of you are like, yeah, you guys are a bunch of dopes. That's why I don't drink coffee. I could not roll my eyes harder at people like you because for you, it's just something else. For you, it's a Mountain Dew or an iced tea or something else. It's some other routine that you do consistently that you kind of arrange your, your day around. It's, it's unbelievable to think about this. Now, the reason this hit me is because I was recently on a very early flight. I'd stayed at a hotel and I thought, no problem, I'll just get coffee on the way out of, uh, in the lobby of the hotel. I woke up, went down to the lobby, guess what they did not have because COVID, right, coffee's going to give me COVID, coffee protects me from COVID, I don't have any idea, <laughs> But I was like, come on, no, co- okay, fine, whatever. I will get coffee on the way to the airport. But this flight was so early, there were no coffee shops open on the way to the airport. And I thought, no problem, I will get coffee at the airport. I'll pay overpriced, it's fine. I, I need to keep my streak up. Got to the airport, guess what shops weren't open at the airport? Coffee shops. It was like, oh, what are we going to do? All right, so, um, I, this is a true story. I had read an article, um, and they said, under no circumstances should you ever, in, in your life at any point, ever drink the coffee on an airplane? And seriously, if you get bored in my sermon and you Google airline coffee bacteria, you will be disgusted. Don't, I, I'm just warning you not to do it. They say do not do it. Flight attendants will not do it. There's like 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 a high number of bacteria found in and maybe it's natural bacteria it's like in yogurt, but whatever. I was like, I don't want to risk my life for this cup of coffee. I'll get it at the layover. At the layover, our flight was delayed and I'm, we're rushing from one end of the airport to another, which is like five miles apart. I don't know why they can't coordinate that. The airport is packed. at Chicago O'Hare. And I'm like, well, let's get to our gate. Let's see if we have any time. We got to the gate. There's a Starbucks near the gate. Yes, praise Jesus. Uh, the Starbucks, though, is a little kiosk and it's got a line of people wrapped around it. And there I am like, they're boarding, there's coffee, boarding, coffee, boarding, what do I do? And so for a brief moment, I didn't entertain this idea very long, but it really came into my mind. This question came in my, into my mind. Would it be so bad to miss my flight home in order to be able to obtain that cup of, cup of coffee? Now, the fact that I thought that reveals that I have a problem, right? And, and many of us have a problem. I didn't do it. I came home to see my family. But that's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy that, that something external to who I am that does, I do not require to keep me alive has become such a feature in my life that I would arrange my life around it. And it's not even something that I wanted to do. There was no point in my life did I say as like a 20-year-old saying, you know what, for the next two decades, I want to have a cup of coffee every day and I just want to have some. I didn't do that. See, some habits we form, but other habits form us. Some habits we form, but other habits form us. And we all have these habits that we didn't choose, but they have become intrinsic parts of our lives. Psychologist William James wrote a couple, about 150 years ago, he said, all of life as it has any form is but a mass of habit. And maybe that's a little bit of overstatement, but your life is full of these routines and habits that that you didn't necessarily choose, but they form you. Let me give you an example of maybe coffee isn't your thing, but some high percentage of the human population, not just Western Americans, the human population, wakes up every morning, and the very first thing that they do is they look at their phone. The very first thing that they do. Some high percentage. I don't know what it is. In fact, if you're one of those people that doesn't do it, either you don't have a smartphone or if you, may, you have made a deliberate choice not to do it. But some huge percentage wakes it up, wakes up and looks at their phone. And it's not like you said, okay, you know what? When I get this new iPhone, I want to make sure to check it every morning. First thing, it was a habit that formed you. But think about the implications of that habit, the domino effects of that habit. When you wake up first thing in the morning and you look at, oh, a work email. Ah, stress, 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 stress. Or you see a text from someone you didn't want to interact with. Ah, or you don't see a text from someone you did want to interact with. Oh, no, why didn't they text me back? Or you get on social media of some nature and you see somebody else who just posted about their morning routine and how they read the Bible and prayed and look how good they are and you're not that good and like, what's wrong with me? Inadequacy. Like imagine, uh, imagine the domino effects that come from just that one unformed habit that a lot of people have. That habit formed you. And it not only formed you, it has significant impacts on other areas of your life. This series is called Rule of Life. Rule of Life. Um, And it comes from, uh, it it actually comes from an ancient idea, and I'm going to talk about briefly here. But it's based on this reality, this truth, that we either rule our lives or our lives rule us. We either rule our lives or our lives rule us. Now, some of you really thoughtful people may sit there and say, well, you no, know, there's some circumstances about my life that have formed part of my character and my history that I had no choice over. And I get that. So. I realize there's some overstatement to that. There's parts of maybe your health history or your family history that you have had to overcome, and it really wasn't a choice. But to a large degree, it is fair to say that we either rule our lives, our schedules, our time, our resources, our energy, or those things rule us. Annie Dillard said, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives, someone or something is going to claim your time and your attention and your energy and your resources. These are all finite commodities that you have been given, and how and who spends them, and whether or not it's you, is really important. So, there's this amazing idea that comes from uh, ancient Christianity, and it's called the Rule of Life. It was a bunch of uh, early second, third century Latin-speaking Christians who developed this idea that I think is both like intuitive but revelatory at the same time. You're both like, "Yes, that totally makes sense," and 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 it's also like, "Whoa, I hadn't thought about that." But it's called Rule of Life, and it's based around this idea that either we rule our lives or our lives rule us. So what they were doing is they thought, okay, the most important things in life need to be those things that Jesus taught us were most important. Seek first the kingdom, love your neighbor as yourself, love God with all your heart, soul, strength. Um, Those are the be like Jesus. Those are the most important things. But those are those can be kind of nebulous sometimes. And so, how do we create structure in our lives to ensure that we do those things, that we become more like Jesus, that we live in a way that is pleasing to Jesus, that we love our neighbors? And so, they called that structure uh, a rule of life. I debated using the word rule because the word rule is a little misleading. I think most of us have a little bit of a default idea or definition that rules are regulations that limit our behavior. We think of a rule as regulations that limit our behavior. So like when you go to the zoo and they have a sign that says don't pet the tigers, like what if I want to pet the tigers? Like, Or you see a sign that says, you know, pick up your trash, don't litter. Like, well, what if I want to litter? You know, like you're cramping my style. What if I want to do those things? And I know that we've been conditioned in a society not to do some of those things, but generally speaking, we think of rules that limit our behavior, and sometimes it's arbitrary, sometimes we agree, sometimes we don't. But we think of them as regulations that limit our behavior. But these ancient Christians thought of rules as regulations that guide our behavior in order to produce a desired outcome. It wasn't about limiting our behavior. In fact, they would argue that breaking the rule is about limiting your behavior. For example, the rule says don't pet the tigers. I want to pet the tigers. So I pet the tigers. What do the tigers do? They bite off my hand. It is much harder as a human to zip zippers and clap and applaud at a concert when your hand is bitten off. I mean, you can live and you can function, you can be a human, but your life has been limited as a consequence of breaking that rule don't litter well what if i want to litter your life the beauty of the natural world around you will be limited as a consequence of a bunch of people breaking that rule your life will be limited by breaking the rule not by keeping it and that's the that's the twist that we've allowed to be uh to be introduced into our lives i'm going to spare you the uh, etymology of the word rule because i don't know there's probably about five people in here that care about etymology i find it so fascinating But I said I'll spare you, but I'm going to give you the brief definition. Rule comes from the same Latin word as we would get the word trellis. Trellis. You guys know what the word trellis means? is i've got a picture in case you're like trellis this is actually from our community garden outside i took this picture this morning this is a bunch of vines of i i don't know anything about gardening somebody could say hey uh what kind of tree is that and i'd be like i i know about two trees i know like pines and that's it so i don't know this could be a pine tree for all i know right i know it's not a pine tree but this is some kind of vine right anybody shout out what it is anybody know huh It's a cucumber. Okay, I had no idea. Cucumbers, right? So, uh, we'll just take your word for that, because really nobody knows. You could just be making it up. So, this is a cucumber tree, plant, vine, whatever, and it's been given structure in order to grow in a healthy way. So, the, the, the goal isn't the structure. The structure allows the cucumber plant to grow in a way that is most healthy it's a it's this trellis the, the important thing is the vine but the trellis the rule the structure gives it the ability to grow where otherwise it would just grow along the ground and maybe get destroyed by animals or other plants would grow or weeds or it'd get stomped on the trellis gives it structure to grow in a healthy whole way that's good And the truth of this is, and the truth that these ancient people understood, is that goodness in our lives, good outcomes in our lives, require guidance. Goodness requires guidance. Parents, you know this. You have had to guide your children because they will make choices that are not in their own best interests. So, for 18 or so, or maybe much longer, maybe for 43 years, you have guided your children in order to help them make better choices so that their life won't be limited in other ways. Goodness requires guidance. But, but even if, you, you know, kids aren't your thing, I mean, everybody in this room, I'm assuming, almost everybody, has had an alarm this week that they set for something maybe it was to wake up maybe it was to remind them of an appointment or whatever but you set an alarm there was something that you needed to do that required you to be conscious before your body wanted you to be conscious and so you had to set an alarm a rule a trellis in order to assure the outcome you wanted because you've all been in a situation where you overslept and maybe you missed a flight or you were late for a job one too many times and you lost that job or you're in a panic or you don't get your coffee or whatever it is that you that are a consequence of breaking that that trellis breaking that rule you're not the best version of yourself has anybody ever been late for something and you mistreated your family members solely because you're late Yeah you're not the best version of yourself, and so in order to help guide goodness, you set an alarm so that you had plenty of time to prepare and be ready, and if you were like my family, uh, my mom in particular, you got to the airport about 12 hours before your flight left, because you didn't want to be late. It's a, it's a trellis. She just said that's not true, but she does not recall the trauma that I experienced. (laughs) So it's easy to think about, okay, yeah, alarm, oversleeping, I get that. It's easy to think about that because the consequences of oversleeping can be kind of steep. You miss an alarm. The point isn't the alarm. You don't live for the alarm, but you set the alarm so that you can go on vacation, so that you can keep your job, so that you can be work on time. That's the goal, and you have set the trellis in order to keep the goal. That's the rule of life. That's the idea of the rule of life. I think... It's fair to say that we all have unruly areas of our life. Maybe it's your marriage, finances, spirituality, health, parenting, friendships, character. There's these areas of your life where your life is growing in unhealthy, chaotic ways. And and there is a problem and you don't know how to fix it because you don't like the way it is. And what we're proposing here is that maybe what you need is a trellis in order to help you be the best version of yourself. The problem is not lack of desire. The problem is lack of structure. Um, Let me give you an example from my life. I would love to be a more present father and husband I I hate it when I'm at a playground and I see like a distracted parent on their phone pushing their child, but not really pushing their child and their child's annoyed, you know, it's so frustrating. And then I hate it even worse when I see that sort of thing in myself. I I hate that when I get distracted by something just ridiculous that is not going to matter to me in about two minutes, but I neglect the person right in front of me because of that thing. I hate that. I hate that that's something i don't want to do but i discover that i still am often distracted or tired or anxious and trying to like make something happen that doesn't need to happen so maybe maybe it's something like that maybe for you you you, you just like for years you've wanted to connect with god more deeply on a regular basis but then every morning you hit snooze hit snooze hit snooze and then you're in a panic rush right out the door And you just can't seem to overcome that gap between what you want what is in your heart and what you are doing maybe you want to be financially generous and you wish you could be one of those people that just has something to give whenever there's a need whenever you hear or even anticipate needs and just be able to to pre-anticipate what people need but then at the end of the month it's just always tight it's just always difficult to find that and make that happen and so, what we're talking about with the concept of the trail is the concept of the rule of life. It's aligning our habits with our hearts. Now, there. there w- you talk about this idea, especially particularly the idea of habit, and there's been this proliferation of books over the last probably five years or so about habits. Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit, James Clear, Atomic Habits, things like that. And so our our world is waking up to the idea that habits are really powerful. And so it could seem like, Patrick, is this even a scriptural idea? Once you start to recognize this concept, not just strict obedience, but the structure of obedience, you see it all over scripture. For example, you see in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, that Daniel, despite the decree, opened his windows toward Jerusalem and prayed three times a day. Despite the fact that the consequence for doing so was death. Why would he do that? Because he had created a rule of life that enabled him and God to connect constantly on a daily basis, that was part of the structure of his life. And Daniel understood that to violate that, the consequences of violating that rule of life were greater than the consequences of violating the king's decree. That's why that's why he continued to do it but this idea is actually all over scripture for example in luke chapter 22 verse 39 this is the last night of jesus life i mean if the doctor tells me patrick you got 24 hours to live i think i'm changing things up like ooh, there's some stuff i haven't done yet but you know what jesus did last night of his life luke chapter 22 verse 39 jesus went out as usual (laughs) To the Mount of Olives. Can you imagine constructing your life in such a way that you don't change a thing if you have 24 hours to live? Wow. He went out as usual. The word there could actually be translated custom, like in a culture, a custom. It was his custom. He just did what he always did. He went out as usual. Um, there's another verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, that's maybe a little more familiar, but it just is this admonition to not give up meeting together as some are, is, are in the habit. The custom of doing. But encourage one another. Don't develop that habit. Don't develop that rule of life that allows you to be distant from other believers and, and lack the ability to offer them encouragement. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Some of you, the fact that you are here this morning, not you are not necessarily here because you woke up this morning with a strong desire to come sing, hear me preach, hear, be a part of communion. That wasn't why you showed up. You showed up because this is your custom, because you have a rule of life, and then you discover once you show up, man, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I was there. I was encouraged by the songs. I saw someone I hadn't seen in a while. I heard something that I hadn't thought about. It's a custom that creates structure and wholeness and well-being in your life because you have created maybe a rule of life. Now, there's so much more we could talk about here, um, and we'll get into it in this series, but, but let's be really honest and and um let's examine ourselves for a minute and and this is kind of brutal and and i realize that maybe there's the ability to have this be a slight overstatement it's true but generally speaking your current life who you are what you have what what this is what you call your life is a culmination of your current habits if You are really proud of everything in your life, and there's nothing you would change. And if you were given 24 hours to live, you would just keep it on just as exactly as you are. Wonderful. I love that. That's awesome. Good job. If there are some things that you know need to change... If there are some parts of your life, some things that are difficult or tricky that you know, or things that the Spirit is calling you to do or develop, or there's more potential that you have, then maybe we need to start thinking about the trellis, about the rule, about the structure of our lives and what that is actually producing. Um, I think a lot of us maybe struggle with the concern that if we were to give our lives too much structure i'm I'm a spontaneous guy i discovered this actually discovered it i've known it for a long time i'm spontaneous the other members of my family are not spontaneous and so when i'm spontaneously want to go do something and uh what what do you think that the rest of my family was like hey let's go on a road trip right now let's go what do you think they want to do not have any part of it at all they like to like give a little advance warning. That's not me at all. I like the spontaneity. And so, so when I think about rules and structure and routines and habits, I'm like, ah, I don't like it. I'm going to miss out on life. I want the ability to just go do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't like this idea of structure and routines and waking up early and all. I don't know. I don't like that. I, don't, I feel like I'm going to miss out on something if I allow my life to be taken over by routines and structures, even if they're good, even if they produce godly habits. I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to miss out on something. We have a uh, Boy Scout troop that meets here in our building, um, and I'm, I'm involved with it <laughs> I don't know how exactly, but I have to meet with the Boy Scout leader every once in a while and you know, just check in and see how things were going. Uh, I've never done Boy Scouts or anything. I'm like the least qualified, but he somehow reports to me in terms of the structure. And uh, so the other day he was talking about a pre-COVID trip that he and the Boy Scouts had taken, a road trip. Uh, they were gonna go camping in, in uh, North Dakota, which as we all know, is the vacation destination of a lifetime. And they were, they were going to go, I guess if you're going to rough it, might as well go to North Dakota, right? Right, Alex? Yeah. Um, so he had, taken, uh, he had taken a bunch of boys they had met here, you know, a bunch of teenage boys heading up to North Dakota. They, le- they left late in the evening, and their first stop was a hotel. I mean, the kids had already had dinner and everything. First stop was a hotel, and then they went and got breakfast the next morning at a fast food place. And they're all in line for fast food, and one of the kids comes up to him, and he says, hey, my mom forgot to give me money for food. And the troop leader's like, ah, great. And I was like, oh, I've been a youth minister for a long time. I know exactly how that feels. That's every trip. That's mostly every kid, by the way. And normally it's not because their mom didn't give it to him. They spent it immediately, all of it. But anyway, so he's like, okay, well, um, buddy, no problem. I, I can, uh, let's, let's call your mom and just make sure maybe we can figure something out. So he, they called the kid's mom, the, the troop leader's there, Boy Scout's there, mom's on the phone, and troop leader's overhearing the conversation, and what he, hear, he hey mom, you forgot to give me money. Mom responds, did you brush your teeth? Boy says, yes, I did, I brushed my teeth. Mom hangs up. Click. And the kid's like, uh, and the troop leader's there too, like, that's, <laughs> what? Okay, he goes like, whatever, I'll spot you, you know, eight bucks for a McDonald's, so fine. So they go out through the day, get to lunch, and the kid's like, I don't have any money and the troop leader's like listen let's call your mom again maybe she got disconnected i don't know calls the mom up mom i don't have any money for food did you brush your teeth yes mom i brushed my teeth click hung up again like and i'm i'm into the story the troop leader's telling me that and i'm just like what is happening this is great so they get to dinner and finally the troop leader's like i i you know, I don't mind helping this kid out, but I don't want to spend all my money on him. I don't know. I got to, I'm going to call the mom and find out what's going on. So he gets on the phone. He calls the mom a few minutes later, hangs up, goes back to the boy. And he's like, listen, buddy, you got to go brush your teeth. So they're like, fine. They go back out to the trailer, they pull the suitcases out, they unzip it, they dig down, get the toiletries tra- tra- take out, they t- pull out the toiletries bag, and there, wrapped around the handle of the toothbrushes, two $20 bills. <laughs> and I'm like, tell me more about this parenting style I'm learning from the masters. It's incredible. It's unbelievable. Because the mom knew, the mom suspected. The mom suspected that the boy would not have the structure in his life that he needed to have in order to take care of himself. So she set up a little bit of a trap for him. But what the boy discovered is that when he did what his mom was asking him to do, he gained what he wanted. That is one of the most basic biblical principles that Jesus taught uh, his disciples, if you seek first the kingdom of God, all those other things that you get so anxious about and worried about and have to chase after and grab after, Matthew six thirty three, all those other things, Matthew six thirty three says, will be given to you. You don't even have to chase them; they'll just come to you. King James says they'll be added to you if you put this obedience and this structure and this this way of jesus first all those other things will come to you that's that's a promise that takes a tremendous amount of faith to believe but you know what i just think back over my life and i think about you know the most generous people i know where generosity is just like who they are part of their personality they never struggle with money They give it away right and left. And I'm not saying that they have more than anybody else, but money has just ceased to occupy their time and attention. They've separated from that. They just don't struggle with money. It it, it almost seems like they just live life and God gives what they need to them. You know, the people who are most attentive to others and give they don't, they don't treat people as interruptions, but they treat people as humans that need love and attentiveness. Those people, they, they seem to somehow have all the time in the world. And me, when I'm just trying to get to the next thing and somebody's in my way and I got to get to the next thing, I feel like I'm always running out of time. Why is that? It's almost as if those people put what God said to put first and everything else was added to them, given to them. Now, in this series, there's gonna be so much that we talk about about how we structure our life and and there's so much that we couldn't add this morning that I would love to get to and we'll get to starting next week. In fact, next week, we're gonna talk about one of the main structures, one of the main habits or routines that affects everything else that we don't even realize is a habit that we have to get right and we have to figure out. We're gonna talk about that beginning next week and I encourage you to come back. Uh, But for now, let's remember that those good things in life God knows what He's doing. God knows what He's up to. I remember. I remember when I was uh, when my daughter Taya, was a little bit younger, a little bit younger, quite a bit younger. We had walked into uh, a store, and I had forgotten my credit card, and I had done something to Corrine. I had said, like, "Oh, Corrine, I forgot the credit card." You know, I, you know, ah, that's so frustrating. And Taya was probably four years old, and she was just—you could see the worry and angst, like going to pay for this? And I'm like, oh, sweetie, that's, that's not your problem. <laughs> Mom and dad will figure it out. We'll figure it out. You don't need to take on that concern, that worry. How much of four-year-old Taya are we? Like, how are we going to do this? How is this going to work? Is it going to be possible? Worry, 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 worry. And God says, listen, if you just pursue the things I'm asking you to pursue, all those things will happen. They'll happen. I know it takes faith, but they'll happen. So let's pray, and then I encourage you to stick around Uh, for this series, because for me, it's been helpful to prepare and study, and I think it'll be helpful for you as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for a few moments to gather together and to restructure our lives and reorient ourselves towards Christ. And and Lord, we know that there are so many things demanding our attention, demanding our money, demanding our energy and resources, but God, help us direct those things in the way that you have called us to. Help us to build that structure through your Spirit in a way that, that creates a life that's pleasing to you. So God, as we continue our worship this morning, I just pray that the entirety of our lives would be refocused and restructured. We know we can't do it alone. We need one another. We need the Spirit. But I pray that the beginning steps could happen now. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're gonna continue our worship this morning. So, David.